of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, let us give thanks and pray. Almighty God, our dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto Thee for that uh, that Thou hast brought us together this evening for this time of fellowship. Not only fellowship one with another, but fellowship around Thy holy, blessed, and eternal Word. Thou knowest, dear Father, that we have gathered together this evening with that prayer, that we might hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, that Shepherd that has loved us so much, that he laid down his life and shed his blood so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we believe that we hear his voice when we hear this thy word of truth rightly divided and proclaimed by the power and the enlightenment of thy spirit. So we ask, dear Father, that thou would be merciful unto us and grant to us the revelation of this word. Grant, dear Father, that this word would be preached by the power, the enlightenment, and the inspiration and the revelation of thy spirit. So the bread of life might be broken here in our midst this evening. We ask, dear Father, that thou would touch the ears of all that are here gathered, both young and old alike, so that our ears would be a clear channel unto our hearts. And do prepare our hearts for the hearing and the receiving and the believing of this thy holy word. For we believe that true living saving faith, it comes by hearing and hearing through this word. So then, bless your Father, our gathering together this evening. We pray that uh, thy name would be glorified here in our midst. And thy Son, Jesus, raised up before our eyes so that together we might behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the entire world. We pray that this evening's service would be that which would uplift, comfort, strengthen, and encourage all of thy children in this pilgrimage that leads to life everlasting. Thou knowest, dear Father, that your children have become very tired and weary from the journey. And we do need to be uplifted. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. We pray, dear Father, that thou would send a, send a revival into our midst. Each one of us, as your children, acknowledge that uh, we, need, we need a revival within our own hearts so that uh, we could indeed better reflect the light of heaven even unto others. Thou hast made us as the light of this world and the salt of this earth. But we feel, especially during this time of our pilgrimage, that this light is not reflecting its rays as it ought to. And we acknowledge that of ourselves we can do nothing. We need to be revived. So look upon us with mercy and compassion this evening and send showers of blessing upon all of us, both young and old alike, so that together we could unite our hearts and our voices in those beautiful hymns and songs of Zion that would glorify thy holy and most glorious name. These things we pray in the name of thy Son who has taught us thus to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> May the greetings of grace and peace from God our Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be multiplied unto all of us. Amen. We have gathered this evening in the house of the Lord, and let us together be reminded, let us believe that we are here in the presence of the living God. 
For the Bible teaches us where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we are gathered together this evening in the name of the Lord. Let us then believe that he is here with us in spirit and he wants to feed and nourish our undying souls. I'm going to read this evening for our meditation from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm going to read from the 6th chapter beginning with verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6. Beginning with the 10th verse, the words are read in the name of our Lord as follows. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that Bethlehem, a child whose birth we have been commemorating, did not remain as a little baby there in Bethlehem. But the scripture teaches us, in the Gospel of Luke, we read how the child grew. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. When I read this verse in the scriptures, it really, really touches my heart and conveys to me a message. Jesus did not remain as a little baby there in Bethlehem. But Jesus grew and waxed strong in the Spirit. And the wisdom of God was upon him and the grace of the Lord was with him. It's one thing that Jesus has been born there in Bethlehem in the stable. But it's another thing that Jesus has been born within one's heart and this Jesus that has been born into your heart this Jesus that has been born into my heart does not want to remain as a baby in our heart he was born to be Lord he was born to be King of Kings he was born to be the King of your life the King of my life Oh, it's important, dearly beloved, that this baby Jesus, if we might refer to him as such, that was born within our heart, has grown to be the king of your life. And that's exactly what he wants to do, beloved. He wants to be the king of your life. I have sometimes made it known with these words, it's one thing that man has come to know Jesus as his Savior, as his Redeemer. 
And we do come to know Jesus as our Savior and Redeemer when we have received the grace to repent and the faith to believe. But do we know him as King? Has he grown and become the King of your life? So that you can honestly say, my life is not my own. The Lord, He rules over me. He is the King of my life. He leads me and guides me as I journey through this wilderness of sin. In our text, Paul writes, and it appears that he's coming to the close of his letter to the children of God there in Ephesus. For our text begins with the word, Finally, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. No, we are not asked to be strong in ourselves. We are to be strong in the Lord. Sometimes when we speak about being strong in the Lord, people have a, they're sort of hesitant to even speak of it because I believe all of us as God's children feel to be very, very weak. And I do believe that it's a wonderful thing when a person feels himself to be very, very weak. And when we speak about being weak, I believe we're referring to the to the we're, we're referring to the fact that of myself I can do nothing and that's wonderful. Now we're strong in the Lord. When a person laments over his own weakness, he is then strong in the Lord because he's dependent more upon the Lord than ever before. But oftentimes people grow in themselves and they become strong in themselves. And that kind of growth is not to the glory and honor of God. Listen to what Paul writes in his letters in his letter to the Romans. In the fifteenth verse or in the fifteenth chapter in the first verse, he writes, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. I don't think Paul is boasting of the fact that he's strong in the Lord from that standpoint that he himself has become big. But he is saying that he is strong in the Lord. And all of us that are strong in the Lord are to bear with those that are weak. When we talk about those that are weak, what kind of individuals are they? Those individuals that are weak in the Lord are those that are not fully trusting in the Lord. We know in the scriptures there were those, especially of the religious sect known as the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were endeavoring to make their righteousness of that which is the law. And if there was anyone that was able to distinguish the difference between the righteousness of the law and the righteousness that is of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the Apostle St. Paul. Because he was once righteous in himself, thinking that uh, it, was, it was indeed the righteousness of the law. And it was. But he had to die to himself. And his eyes had to be opened to behold what he really was. And when he became a beggar of God's grace, in need of mercy and forgiveness, and when he was washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and clothed with the righteousness that God has provided for fallen mankind, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, now the scales were removed from his eyes and he beheld that which God has done for fallen mankind. And he didn't, as he writes in his letter to the Philippians, and let me just read briefly from there what he makes known. He says, And be found in him, that is, be found in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, 
but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He recognized where he was and where he is today. And what a wonderful change took place in his life when he found himself in need of Jesus and was clothed with that righteousness. Now he began to build upon this foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he considered everything else as dung. Well, he recognized that there were those that were not fully trusting in the Lord. In his letter to the Galatians, in his letter to the Galatians, he refers to some that were not fully, fully in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he writes with these words, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? There were those that Christ wasn't fully formed in them. They were still trusting in the law. So he tells them that, uh, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? There were those that were not, Christ was not fully formed in them, and he was travailing in their behalf that Christ would be formed in them fully. This Christ child, as we've heard already, wants to grow in us and be the king of our life. If he hasn't grown in us and we're trusting in other things for our salvation, we are weak. We are weak in Christ. Those that are strong in Christ are fully trusting in Him. And they know that there is no other way nor means whereby we can make ourselves righteous, holy, and acceptable unto God than through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to merit eternal salvation or eternal life than to believe in that which God has has done for us. And so it is. Those that are believing this way are strong in the Lord. And that's what we're exhorted to do in our text. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Further on in our text, well in the next verse we're told, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor. We're going to learn about the armor of God this evening. We are to put on the whole armor of God. For what reason? That we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh, the devil is so sly. The devil is so tricky, if I might use that word. He, he just knows how to capture our hearts and our minds and destroy from our hearts the love of God, the joy of salvation, and the hope of everlasting life. He wants to instill into our hearts all kinds of doubts. And he knows when he can get a person to doubt, that person is going to begin to fear and when a person begins to fear, he can no longer believe. And when he can't believe, already the joy of salvation has been destroyed from his heart. That's the work of the enemy of the soul. So it's important, beloved, that by faith we are looking upon him whom God hath sent. And put our total trust in him. Because he is the reason for our salvation. He is the reason for us being his, God's children this evening. He's the reason for our sins being blotted out. He's the reason for our righteousness. He's our all in all beloved. 
we can go into the Old Testament and there's so many, many wonderful stories in the Old Testament that speak to us of those that were strong in the Lord. You've all read the story, you've heard the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody was asked to bow down and worship that golden image. And these three teenagers, they were in their teenage years, they refused to bow down to this golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Everybody else did. All the important people of the world were invited to come there to worship that idol. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow down. And the king warned them, If you don't, you're going to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. These three men told King Nebuchadnezzar, We don't know. We don't know what God has in store for us. But one thing we do know, that we are not bowing down to any strange or foreign gods. They were strong in the Lord. My heart rejoices when I read these places in the scripture. They had courage because they knew that in and through the Lord, God is going to deliver them. And God did. God did deliver them. You remember how they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. And when King Nebuchadnezzar looked into that furnace, to his amazement, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. He asked the people, how many did we throw into the furnace? They said three. He said, well, there's, there's four in there. And the fourth one is like unto the Son of God, or the Son of Man. I forget which way it's worded. The king ordered them out of the furnace. Mind you, the men that threw these men into the furnace, they, they died from the extreme heat just by getting that close to that furnace to throw those men in there. They died from the extreme heat. The fire hadn't even, the smell of fire wasn't even on their clothes. The hair on their body wasn't even singed. God so completely delivered them. You remember David going into battle against Goliath. Goliath was an experienced man of war. David was not. He took care of his father's sheep. But he believed. He believed with his heart, soul, and mind that God was going to deliver that giant into his hands. And God did. He had faith. He believed. He was strong in the Lord. That's what it means to be strong in the Lord. We take a look at Daniel, who was thrown into the lion's den, all because he would not listen to the king's decree that nobody's going to ask of anything outside of him. And Daniel would get before on his knees before his window three times a day and talk to his creator, talk to his God in heaven. And that was against the decree, the law of that time. And they had him thrown into the den of lions. And God stopped the lions' mouths. We ask, where did these men get this courage? The Lord gave it to them. They, by faith, believed and trusted in the Lord. John, in his epistle, in his first epistle in the fifth chapter, tells us with these words, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. There's where our victory lies, dearly beloved. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our victory is. It's not to be found anyplace else. And that's why it's so important that souls are led to Jesus and that this baby Jesus that has found in a place, an abiding place within their heart would grow and wax strong in the Spirit and the grace of God would be upon him because faith in the Lord is going to bring 
him victory. When we think of all that is taking place in the world in our day, it can certainly cause a person to fear and tremble because there's difficult times before us. We don't have to fear. We don't have to tremble because we know that in and through the Lord Jesus Christ we're going to overcome the entire world and we're going on to heaven to be with our Creator and our Redeemer. The Lord wants us to be strong in Him. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We aren't battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And when we think of these things, oh, how prevalent they are in the world in our day. They're throughout the entire world, beloved. So then when the Lord tells us, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the craftiness, the slyness of the enemy of our soul. That's our only hope, beloved. You have heard, you've heard it time and time again how before Jesus returns there's going to be a great falling away. Many are going to be deceived. The false Christs and the false prophets are going to arise and show great signs and wonders. And through these signs and wonders many, not just a few, many are going to be deceived. Don't go running after signs and wonders. That isn't how a person receives faith. How does a person receive faith? Through the hearing of this word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't emphasize signs and wonders. We preach this word by the power, the inspiration and the revelation of God's spirit realizing recognizing and believing that those who receive it and believe it are going to come into the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and that's where their victory lies. So don't go running after signs and wonders. Those are the, the, the deceivers of the last times when the emphasis, is, the emphasis is on healings and, and all these other things. That isn't salvation. I've had people that have not experienced, no, they have not experienced a regeneration in the heart. And God has miraculously healed them. I remember when I was laboring in Michigan, one man not too far from the church that I served, the doctors had given up on him. The doctors had told his family that he's not going to see another day. He won't make it through the night. And he knew that this was this this is where he was. And he said, he told me personally, he says, I cried, I cried out to God, you're the great physician, you can heal me, you can make me well. And he said, that night, the hand of the Lord came upon me and I was healed. The doctor came into my room in the morning and to his amazement, he could not believe what he saw. I was totally healed. And he was. He was discharged and he went home. And that's all he talked about was his bodily healing. And I asked him, have you been spiritually healed? Are your sins forgiven? I don't know. But I know one thing. The Lord has healed me physically. Everybody had given up on me and here I am, totally well. I said, but that's one thing. It's another thing to be spiritually healed. And that's the healing that we ought to be concerned about, dearly beloved. So then, let me repeat. Don't, don't run after signs and wonders. But ask God that the word might be proclaimed unto you. His word. 
and that you would be given ears to hear it, a heart to receive it, and believe it. Because that word is powerful, and that word is going to change your heart. You're going to be regenerated and become a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Christ is going to begin to grow in you. And that Christ is going to bring you victory over the entire world. And we need Christ, especially in our day when we see all that is going on in the world. In verse 13 we're told again, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And having done all, to stand. I know you're already wondering, what is that armor? What is that armor that, that I am to put on? Put on the whole armor of God. It's God's armor. It's not the armor of man. I already talked to you about David going to battle against Goliath. Saul was the king of Israel at that time. And Saul told David, you're just a young man. You're not an experienced man of war. David insisted he's going to go. So Saul said, here, take, take my armor. Saul had that armor that was needful for battle, a helmet and a shield and everything else, a sword. He clothed David with that armor. And David, it would appear, was all ready to go into battle. And David stood there in hesitation. And he said, no, I can't go. I can't go trusting in this man-made armor. He took all that man-made armor off of him. And he took a humble, meek, lowly sling walked down to the river and gathered from there five smooth stones. And oh, he felt so good in his heart. Now, I am ready to go against that giant. And when the giant saw him, he laughed him to scorn and said that his body was going to be fed to the fowls of the air that day. And David told him, You come to me trusting in yourself and in your own armor. But I come to you in the name of the Lord, the King of Kings. And he's going to deliver you into my hands. And this day your body will be fed to the fowls of the air. David reached into his pocket, took one of those stones, put it in his sling, and he threw that stone and it lodged in Goliath's forehead, and he dropped to the ground dead. David ran up to him, took his sword, Goliath's sword, and cut off his head. Jesus once said, those that take the sword are going to perish with the sword. We might say, Goliath perished with his own sword. We don't trust in that kind of warfare. We don't trust in that kind of armor. Our armor is from God. And that's the armor we need to be clothed with if we're going to withstand in the evil day. So then he begins to talk about that armor. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. What is that truth that we're to have our loins girt about with. The Bible tells us Jesus is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us also that the word of the Lord, this word, this holy Bible, it is truth. Oh, I think it's so good. I think it's so important that we are rooted and grounded and established in this word. That is so important, beloved. But then, keep in mind, I believe there's yet another truth that we have to consider. And the reason I bring this to your attention is because, well, again, in the Old Testament, there's so many, many wonderful stories. 
But there's one story that comes to my mind when, it talks, when, when we talk about this truth. Israel, when they crossed over the River Jordan into the Promised Land, they had a lot of difficulties, a lot of battles that they had to overcome. They fought a lot of wars. But the, one of the first wars that they had to battle, or one of the first cities that they had to conquer was Jericho. And you know what Jericho was like. Jericho was a big city. And it had huge, huge, thick, thick walls, high walls, that surrounded the whole city. There was no way you could even get into the city to try and capture it or conquer it. How are we going to overcome this city? The Lord told them, how they're going to overcome the city. Mind you, those walls were even so thick and, and great that they built houses up there and they even rode their, their horses and chariots up on the walls. They were that big and thick. Who in the world's ever going to conquer that city? The children of Israel conquered that city. The walls went crumbling down when the children of Israel did what the Lord told them to do. Those big walls went crumbling down and they moved right in and took over the entire city. They were strong in the Lord. They were obedient to the word of the Lord. And the Lord was with them and with the Lord all things are possible. But now, the Lord told them, when you conquer that city, don't you take any of their silver or gold I don't want you taking anything of their substance onto yourself. Well, there was a man by the name of Achan. He wasn't obedient to that command. He took of the silver and the gold that he found in that city onto himself and he brought it into his own tent, dug a hole in the ground and he hid that silver and that gold. Nobody knows anything about it but Achan. Wait a minute. Hold on. There is somebody that knows all about what's going on. And that is the Lord. The Lord tells Israel, now I want you to go fight and capture the city of Ai. Just a real small city. Well, <clears throat> The king sent his spies over there to spy out the city. We're talking about having our loins girt about with truth. He sent his spies out there to spy the city. They spied out the city and they came back and they said to the king, "We don't." they told Joshua, you don't have to send very many men. If you send two or three thousand men, that's enough. They're, it's so small. They're so small in number. Two, three thousand men can go over there. It would be a pushover. So Joshua thought, well, okay, I'll send three thousand men. These three thousand Israelites went there. And the people there in that small, tiny village drove them out of there and killed thirty-six of the children of Israel. And the rest of them fled for their lives. They were overcome by that small enemy. And no way could, the, could Joshua comprehend, under, and comprehend and understand what was going on. So Joshua fell on his face along with the other elders and they cried to God, what a, what a shame has come upon your name. Your name is almighty and now this little small village has overcome us. This, is, this word is going to spread all over. Your name is, is brought to shame. Well, God talked to Joshua. The Lord talked to Joshua and told him, You've defiled yourself. Israel has defiled itself. You have broken my commandment. Somebody from amongst your group has taken of the riches of Jericho and hid them unto themselves. And that's why you can't overcome your enemy. So the Lord told Joshua how to go about screening all of the children of Israel, the different tribes and camps. And, and lo and behold, they found out that Achan was the man. 
So Achan was brought before Joshua and he had to admit that he has taken of the possessions of, of Jericho. And they're in his tent under the ground. So he sent men over there and sure enough when they dug up the ground there was all the riches and the whatever he had taken from Jericho. Achan was stoned along with all of his family. They were all stoned to death. Now when the, the, the evil was removed from the, from the children of Israel, the Lord told Joshua, now go and battle against Ai. They went up and battled against Ai and it was just a pushover. I mean, there was no, no fight hardly. It was that easy. What is the message here for us, beloved? We're talking about our loins being girt about with the truth. And we're being told if our loins are girt about with this truth, we are going to be strong and we're going to reap victory to ourselves. Israel had defiled itself, was not obedient to the word of the Lord, was not walking in the light of God's word. The whole camp, all of Israel suffered because one man had been disobedient to that command. We can take this personally to our own hearts and to our own lives. Do you want to remain strong in the Lord? You have to put on the whole armor of God. And the first part of that armor is to have your loins girt about with truth. Walk in obedience to the leading of God's Spirit. Walk in the light of God's Word. No lying, no stealing, none of that kind of stuff. Because if you're going to lie, if you're going to steal, if you're going to speak evil one of another, you're defiling the temple of God and you're go your strength is going to be sapped from you. You will not be blessed of the Lord. Your strength is gone. He wants us to be have our loins girt about with truth. And this, what it, this is what it means to have our loins girt about with truth. Yes, it's important that we are strong in the Lord. It's important that we are rooted and grounded in this word. But we must walk in obedience to that word, in the leading of God's Spirit. Well, you might say, but I... It's so hard. It is hard. Of ourselves, we can do nothing. And when you have been wounded by the fiery darts of the Lord, I mean, fiery darts of the enemy, you know it. You know that you have sinned. You know that you've done wrong. Don't harden your heart. Do what the Lord tells you to do. Acknowledge, confess what you have done that isn't right and ask for forgiveness. Seek the mercy of the Lord. Have that sin blotted out in the name and through the precious blood of Jesus. The Bible tells us to confess our faults one to another. Oh, it's so important that we do, beloved, as the word of the Lord teaches us and hear with our own ears the glad tidings of the Lord Jesus Christ, namely, the forgiveness of all of our sins in his precious name and atoning blood. Individual. Just like the Lord withheld his strength from Israel when they went to battle against Ai. But when they had been restored to the fullness of the Lord, the defilement had been removed. The strength of the Lord was upon them. The Bible tells us the Lord withheld his strength from Israel because of disobedience to his command. And that is the same individually with all of us. So then, stand, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. We've already heard the righteousness that Paul here is speaking of is the righteousness that God has provided for us in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
We heard Paul was at one time clothed in his own righteousness, which was of the law. That is not, that is not what God is happy or pleased with. That has to be stripped from man so that he needs Jesus, his blood, to wash and cleanse him and be clothed with that righteousness. But we can't be clothed with that righteousness if we're going to go about lying and stealing and doing everything contrary to God's word. You know, a Christian can't just continue to live his life the way he wants to when he becomes a Christian. He's the Lord's possession. His life isn't his own. So then, we must have on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You and I that are God's children have such a wonderful, wonderful message to proclaim unto the entire world. And he wants us to be prepared at all times to share this message with all of mankind. And especially those that are burdened and heavy laden with sin. We don't just tell them to go home and pray. But we comfort them with the gospel of peace. Namely the forgiveness of their sins. In the precious name and the atoning blood of Jesus. We hear so much in our day. Nobody can forgive sins but God only. Well we know that God is the author of this forgiveness. But we are his ambassadors. We're representing him here upon the face of the earth. I stand before you this evening proclaiming his word. Do you believe it's God ministering to us or is it man? If it's man, let's go home. Why listen to man? We believe it's God speaking through man. And likewise the forgiveness of sins. We've been asked to comfort those that are burdened and heavy laden with the forgiveness of their sins. Whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Remember the man that was, that was sick of the palsy? And there were four that brought him to Jesus. They lowered him through the roof of the house. And Jesus said unto him, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Jesus proclaimed to him the forgiveness of his sins. Well, there were those, the scribes and the Pharisees, that were murmuring. And within their hearts they were entertaining this kind of thought. Who can forgive sins but God only? Nobody can forgive sins but God. Who does this man think he is? Proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. Well, Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking. So he told these people, which is easier for me to say to this man, Arise, take up your bed and walk. Should I tell him to do that? That you might know that the man hath power on earth to forgive sins? And that's exactly what Jesus told this man. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately that man arose, took up his bed and walked. And they were amazed. They said they've never ever seen it done in that way. And the world still is amazed when they hear God's children proclaim to another the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus said, the works that I do, and Jesus was forgiving sins, the works that I do shall ye do also. You're going to do these works. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians the second letter to the Corinthians in the fifth chapter tells us with these words, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you therefore in God's stead, 
be ye reconciled unto God. No, it isn't that we have taken this power unto ourselves. The Lord has empowered us by His Spirit to carry out this all-important work. We are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Don't be ashamed of calling yourself a disciple of Jesus. Don't deny Him. Stand up for Him and God is going to bless abundantly. Maybe some of you younger people, I know when I was young I struggled with some of these things. Let me just share with you one experience. I've shared it on several occasions. But I think it's so important that we realize and recognize that God is with us. When I was a young boy, I was still at home living with my ma mother and father. And I used to sit often in the living room on the couch. And I would entertain thoughts of men coming into the living room. Men from outside, strangers, coming in and saying to me, Either you deny your Lord or we're going to torture you to death. Torture you to death. And when we read of how men have been martyred because of the testimony of Jesus, some of those martyrs are horrible, unbelievable. And I used to think about that. And I thought about it often. What if, what if they'd come in from that door and tell me, either you deny your Lord or we're going to torture you to death. And it just seemed like I loved myself so much. I know I loved the Lord. I loved Him so much too. But I just felt that I, I would deny my Lord. I always felt that I'm going to deny my Lord. I just will not be able to stand. And I found myself crying to God, God, you know I love you. And I don't want to. I don't want to deny you, God. I don't want to deny you, but I'm so weak. I'm so weak. I just know that I will. I know I will do that. So then, God allowed me to have a dream. I'll never forget that dream because God ministered to me through that dream in such a powerful way. I'm not afraid yet today. And that goes back many, many years, 40-some years. I was standing in a line. I still remember the very place where it was taking place. All the Christians were being martyred. And I was standing in that line. It was terrible. They had a big table, metal table. They'd lay the Christian on that table. They'd put a clamp on his head, clamp on both of his hands, clamp on both of his feet, and they'd press a button, and the members of his body would pull apart. When they were all pulled apart, then there'd come something across the table and push the remains into the fire. And I was standing in line, waiting my turn. And I was crying. Oh, I was crying so hard. Not because I was afraid. Do you, know what I, do you know why I was crying? I was telling the Father, don't hold this sin against those men. Those men don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. Father, don't hold this against them on the day of judgment. My heart just burned for those that were persecuting the Christians. I was just crying in their behalf, forgiveness in their behalf, like Jesus when he was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the time came for me to be placed on the table. The clamps were put on me, and all I remember was I was praising and thanking God for being so good to me. And that's how I left this life. I woke up in the morning. I couldn't believe I just couldn't believe how God had visited me during the night. I haven't been afraid since that day. God has assured me that he's going to be with me regardless of what I'm faced with as long as we are standing up for Jesus and we're clothed with his armor. The battle isn't mine, it isn't yours, it's the Lord's. So then we want the Lord to use us in whatever way He wants to use us. Let's just make ourselves available for the Lord. Let us be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
having our loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, he tells us, taking the shield of faith. Faith is a shield that we carry before us to war off all the fiery darts of the enemy. The Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything that is not of faith is sin. Sometimes the question is asked, what is sin? And we talk about abortion, we talk about drunkenness and adultery. Yes, they're all sin. But the Lord tells us what sin is. Anything that is not of faith is sin. All of your good works, they can be sin if they're not done by faith, believing. If you think your good works are going to merit you eternal life, that's not being done by faith. It's all in vain. It's sin. Anything that is not of faith is sin. You come to the Lord's table to partake of the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood of Jesus. If that isn't done by faith, believing, it's not going to be of any benefit to you. Not a thing will, you will receive no blessing from it. But we come forward to sit at the Lord's table by faith, to eat of his body and drink of his blood. We do it by faith, believing. And I, I, I even bring this to your attention because the devil had me believing for some time as long as you go up there for communion and you do all these things you're going to get to heaven you don't have to worry about anything that had already become a work to me and I began to realize wait a minute that is not what this sacrament is all about just because I go and partake of it doesn't mean that I get any better or more acceptable to God that isn't what the sacrament's about God had to teach me that I have to partake of it by faith, believing. So then anything that is not of faith is sin. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, in the chapter of faith, the 11th chapter, we're told like this, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Anybody that comes to God must believe that he is. He exists. He is the creator of the world. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We have to come by faith believing. How many times did Jesus tell people, Go in peace, thy faith hath saved thee. Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. Thy faith hath saved thee. So we are to take the shield of faith. How do we conquer the entire world? By faith, believing and trusting in him whom God hath sent. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. My time has passed. I feel like I should stop. Convinced that they are the only... What does it mean? The helmet of salvation. There's a place in the scripture here. Let me read it quickly to you. It's in Thessalonians, I believe. Paul writes with these words. No, it wasn't in Thessalonians. I thought it was there. It's in uh, Philippians. Paul writes, and listen carefully. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. There's the helmet of salvation. 
think on those things that will nourish and edify your soul. Do you think your soul is going to be nourished and edified if you sit before your television watching filth and garbage? It's not. You're not going to be blessed and strengthened in your faith. You pick up a pornographic magazine and look at it and study it and lust over it. Are you going to be strengthened in your faith? Absolutely not. You're destroying the very faith that God has given to you. So we are to think on those things that will nourish and edify and strengthen us in our faith. And God will bless so put on the helmet of salvation. Don't allow the enemy of the soul to, to drag you into the filth and the garbage that is so prevalent in the world and allow you to, to just ponder on those kind of things. That feeds your flesh. Your flesh has been crucified, but you begin to feed your flesh and you're going to be in trouble. Believe me, I know. I've been there. We feed our flesh and you're going to be in trouble. The Bible teaches daily this old man should be crucified with all of its lusts and desires. We're talking about putting on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to withstand in the evil day. Put on the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is referred to as the sword that the Spirit uses. And the Word of God is quick, it's powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We use this Word by the power of God's Spirit, and that Word is going to pierce the hearts of men. And we use that sword. So then, as Paul has written to the Colossians, if you be risen with Christ, if you're one of the resurrected from the dead through the Lord Jesus Christ into a newness of life, if you be risen with Christ, think on those things which are above and not those things which are upon the earth. We are to take the whole armor of God the last part of that armor Paul speaks of as prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereon to with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When Jesus spoke about the end of the world and his second coming, he said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Here we're told to use this, use this wonderful tool that God has given to us, known as prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, pray for each other. Pray for each other. And then in closing, Paul says, pray for me. For, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray for us, beloved, that have been called and ordained of God to proclaim this word. Remember your ministers. Remember those that proclaim the gospel. And that God would anoint them with the oil of his spirit, enlighten them by his spirit, and strengthen them in proclaiming this word as it ought to be proclaimed. When you pray like that, you're really praying for yourself. Because now you're going to hear the truths of God. And you believe those truths and you're going to be blessed abundantly. This is the armor that God has prepared. Take the whole armor and put it on yourself. And you're going to conquer the world 
we're going to safely finish the race and arrive home in heaven because of this gift that God has given to us his son Jesus faith and trust in him will bring us victory in Jesus name Amen